So my whole story, like when you ask like what created this and I start talking about playing drums mm -hmm. for eight years and then all of a sudden it switches to mixing, to me, it wasn't a switch. I just picked up a different instrument. That's all it was for me. So I believe to be the best mixing engineer when it comes to music, you gotta be freaking gangster musician. Welcome back to the interview podcast on the Y Millbank Podcast Network from Millbank, South Dakota. This is Craig Weinberg. TheInterviewPodcast.org is our website. If you want to help support the show, you can jump on there, click the donate button. You choose the value you get out of the show. Send it back our way. Another way you can give back to the show is by telling more people about it, getting more listeners, spreading it around to your social media groups and your circles of influence. We appreciate everything that we get. All the support is very much appreciated. Today on the show, MXU co-founder and front of house engineer for Hillsong United. Lee Fields is with me from California today. Had a great talk about the industry of church production and, uh, and talked a little bit about what they're doing with MXU and why it's becoming uh, the number one resource in church production today. GetMXU.com is the website. Check it out. It's a great opportunity for you and your church uh, with your volunteer team, your tech team, uh, to have a phenomenal array of resource to learn and grow as a team to be able to produce the best product we can. Hope you enjoyed this conversation. Thanks for listening. Lee Fields, not of the expressions. Um, <laughs> welcome to the interview. <laughs> Thanks, man. That's not the first time I've heard that. Although I was, I, I was, I did a search to see if there was any wiki on you or anything, and there's not that I could find anyway. Um, and that came up, so I had to go down that rabbit hole of listening to that music. So that was fun. He can have the wiki. I'm yeah. good with that. Yeah. Um, you're in California, correct? That's correct. I found you because I have a undying passion for live audio. Okay looking for microphone comparisons, digging around the interweb years ago, uh, found you guys early on uh, in the MXU world, I think. And just, it was fun to hear experts, people that actually know what in the world they're doing. I know enough to know some of the stuff you were talking about, and it was really fascinating. Um, and so I wanted to get you on just to kind of see how you got to that like, how did you get to where you're at today? What started your drive into the pro audio world? Dude, this is so funny you're asking this. I, it's so top of mind for me right now. Really? It, it answer, yeah, because um, it, I promise this will all connect. Uh, <laughs> okay. My 13-year-old my son is really into golf. Yeah. And he's so much into it that my wife and I have had to answer the question, how willing or how... <laughs> How much are we willing to invest yeah. our time and resources into seeing if this is a potential long-term thing for him? Not saying he's going to go pro or anything, but like playing high school, yeah. maybe maybe a college scholarship. And we met with a, a golf pro, a coach, not like the local guy at your local club that you can get a lesson from, but all this oh, it's guy like does, a real pro. Oh yeah. He's a real pro. Mm -hmm. All he does is coach professionals. So uh -huh. he's got... 10 PGA pros, about 50 division one college athletes, and then a bunch of kids. Wow. So I, he interviewed me to see if he wanted to coach my son. 
He had and, to find out about you? Well, he was asking questions about me, what my tolerance <laughs> level was for really intense athletic coaching of your child. Oh, so he can he abuse your kid and you'll be okay with yes, this? Yes, 100%. <laughs> so like, you know, football coaches from the 80s, yeah. like just imagine that. It, that's kind of <laughs> what this is like. So we show up and he gives a speech on on that essentially, but he's talking to my kid now and he's like, do you know what the Navy SEALs are? This is the Navy SEALs for golf. He's like, I might fire you because you don't do a good enough job. And this is just a one-on-one -on -one conversation. I'm I'm there. Yeah. So, but yeah. But he's not like a group. This isn't a group of kids. No, 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 <laughs> no. And he's like, I might fire you if you don't take this seriously enough or I don't think you have the potential to play in college. Mm -hmm. And he's like, but when you win your first tournament, I'll cry with you. I'll go have a beer with your dad. We'll be best friends. But but we're going to work hard at this. Wow. So he's saying all this, and then he's talking about these other athletes. And there was a kid, you know, a 50 yards away from us on the driving range. Mm -hmm. And he kept pointing to this kid, and he's a Division One college athlete, Pac-12 champion, University of Arizona golf team. Mm -hmm. And this kid's out there 60 hours a week practicing. Oh, you know, man. so so he's pointing to this guy and talking about, when he started when he was 11 and all this. And then it, it made me go back to thinking about what, how that started in me. Mm -hmm. And it's the, it's the exact question you, yeah. you just asked, like what, what started all this? And I didn't come out and tell the golf coach yet that I, this will sound really arrogant. I'm just, I'll, I'll just have to say it for the story that, that I'm one of the top front of house engineers in the industry. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. I can, it's, I think it's humble to say something that's accurate. I don't want to overinflate it, but I, I think people that know what we do would agree with that. So Absolutely. it's okay to say, so I, I haven't told him any of this yet, but <laughs> it, he's trying to explain to me that anybody that wants to become really, really great at anything they do, this is the type of mm -hmm. commitment it takes. Mm -hmm. And the whole time I'm going, <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. Go Google me, buddy. You know, <laughs> right. that, that, would, yeah. that would be the arrogant way to say that. <laughs> He'll find the expressions that. if he does though. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You won't find me on wiki. Right. So it took me back to when I was about, I think, seventh or eighth grade. Okay. I was playing music and it was like percussion in the school band in middle school. This mm -hmm. is like before marching band. And I was really into it. Like I would practice on my own. I would watch videos on online. My AOL screen name was awesome. dated yourself. was lovely yeah rebel uh -huh. drummer 2002 <laughs> and my high school was the rebels that's where that came okay. from uh so i was like into like drum corps international um this dci it's like the really intense drum corps marching mm -hmm. bands that you see that travel around in the summers it, it got so bad that like i stopped playing video games i stopped playing sports. I wasn't that good at sports. I, I wasn't good enough to play in school anymore, but like rec league sports were over Yeah, and I was just playing drums and I would play in my room for hours every single day. And I kind of forgot that I had done that. And I think <laughs> that's, you know, watching this guy teach my son golf and talking about all that. I was like, I know how to do this. Mm -hmm. This is, that's where it started for me was, was playing drums and marching band. And then I picked up a bass guitar later in high school, played in the jazz band. And then I got a bunch of college scholarship offers to play in marching bands for like division one schools, university of Tennessee drumming. I got an offer. Yeah, really? Yeah. I got, 
and to play a bass guitar in their jazz band. It was like both. Like I could kind of pick. I didn't know that was a thing. A scholarship and it's a school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then um, I, I turned down both and went to a private liberal arts school and majored in music business. So I like totally took a turn. What is music business? How to run a record label? Yes, exactly. Really? What it was. So yeah, a hundred percent. So I would play in like a little Christian band with my buddies and like, we thought we were cool, you know, and maybe we could get a record deal. It was mm -hmm. terrible. It's like the worst music ever. Um, <laughs> what, what genre? Like heavy metal Christian rock. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> so was this you know, in what, what age, what year? This was in like 2000, 2000, 2001. <laughs> um, it's the kind of music that like your Christian family members are like, what kind of church are these kids going to? Uh -huh. I can't understand the words. Yep. It was like that kind of stuff. Um, but I, the other thing that was happening in, in my personal psychology class in my head was I grew up in a pretty poor family. It's like, we lived in a trailer park and you're just told when you graduate high school, if you graduate mm -hmm. with a degree, you go to work at a factory in town or you go to a production job and Monday through Friday, eight to five. And that's what my parents did. My mm -hmm. mom was a, uh, she worked at the crystals fast food restaurant in the South. Have you ever been to one of those? Nope. It's like a white castle. Okay. So she did that most of my early childhood and then like worked office jobs after that. Okay. But my dad was like a production guy working an assembly line. Mm. And so like were, his whole career. Yes. Yeah. And, the, and that was all of my family. It was some type of production blue collar job. So it was just like, Hey, just get through high school so that you can go do that. Mm -hmm. And I did not want to do that. It was like, I think I saw the kind of the oppressive culture of the south okay what you know state that was kind it? of this is tennessee and okay. this is like appalachia so mm -hmm. this is not nashville and franklin tennessee <laughs> the and chip and joanna <laughs> right. throwing up houses <laughs> everywhere right this is this is trailer parks yeah. where the truck in the driveway costs more than the house that gets repossessed every three months it's mm -hmm. like that kind of stuff right so what we and would I, classify as white trash perhaps 100 percent okay well, yeah, it's exactly <laughs> what it is. Like, it's cool to be redneck now. Was it's there moonshine cool be... being made in the background? We had moonshine in high school, no. 100%. <laughs> yeah, awesome. but to drink it in high school, they they uh, would put, like, mandarin oranges in the mason jar, fill it up, and then freeze it. And then you eat, would eat the mandarin oranges. Oh. And then, it, it yeah, dangerous for a 17-year-old. version of, le of orange jello. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, it's like jello shots, but oh, oh, man. Mandarin orange shots. So um I I don't remember what was going through my head at the time. I just had this like I was repulsed by everything that was going on around me. Mm -hmm. I was like, I can't do this. And I was really into music and I saw the potential of what you could do. But I, I think I was also not naive enough to think that I could make money playing music at, with an instrument. Mm -hmm. I thought that there was more of likelihood of doing something in the business side. So there was a local recording studio in Knoxville, which was the closest big city to where I was like 30, 40 minutes away. And there was a studio there, Lakeside Studios and a producer named Travis Wyrick. And he was producing some bigger Christian rock bands and some country stuff. So he liked some Dolly Parton, some like Pillar, Disciple, like all those mm -hmm. like Christian rock bands. Well, I ended up in a studio once on a whim because a friend's band was recording there. And I asked him like, Hey, I think I want to do this. 
would you ever open a seat up in the corner of the room where I could just be a fly on the wall? Well, so you just and wanted to sit and watch. Yes. Yeah. And he said, yes. Oh, fantastic. That so is like I, gold. It was unbelievable. But it wasn't like I was showing up at 7 a.m. before he opened and stayed till yeah. after. I only did it a few times, but it left such an impression on me. Mm-hmm. That it made me feel like there's someone in this town with a world-class recording studio. He does this for a living. I wonder if I could be good enough to do this one day. So then I go off to college. And then when you apply for all the college loans, there was a, I don't remember what type of loan it was. It was something my mom ended up paying for, but I added another $5,000 to the loan to be able to build a recording rig to put in my dorm room. You, you were able to like specify that's what you wanted it for. Yeah. And I had to go to the, whatever the loan office at the school was, cause it was a federal loan, like whatever at the time those were. Yeah. And because I was a music business major, it was considered oh, it like, sense. it was books, right? Oh, that's awesome. Right. So I, I went to the smartest kid in the dorm who had some <laughs> custom computer with led lights. And I was like, yeah. Hey, I'm going to build a computer. Can you help me build one? And he's like, well, how much money you got? And I think for the computer, I was like, you know, 3000 bucks. Cause then I need an interface, a couple microphones mm-hmm. and some studio monitors. So he went to newegg.com and <laughs> built me this dope recording PC. Yeah. And then I bought new window 2.0 off of eBay. And I think it was a real version, not a cracks <laughs> because it came with a dongle. So, nice. <laughs> and then, um, I, I had this rig in my college dorm room and started recording all the bands back home and I would move it around and I would skip class and never go to class. And then I was, this was just all I was doing. And then, um, nine months into college. So a semester and a half, I dropped out and I got on a tour bus. So one of my buddy's bands was going on tour for the first time and not like a real tour bus. Like they had like a 1983 like a van. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like a coach bus that they ripped yeah. up all the seats yep. and like bolted down couches and some beds in the back, Party, you know? So I dropped out of college to go do that. Cause he's like, Hey, do you want to be our front of house guy? And I'm like, sure. And then he said, we can pay you $20 a show and $5 per diem for food every day. And I had a cell phone that was a prepaid cricket wireless $40 a month, whatever. Um, And that was all I had. I didn't have a car payment or anything. So I dropped out of college and got on the tour bus. And that's really when the trajectory into live sound kicked in. Mm -hmm. Because I spent two or three years with that band doing 150, 200 shows a year just breaking stuff and making mistakes. At that point, like when you you said yes to that gig, were you... How much experience behind a console did you have in a live setting at that point? Just like when your buddies play at a local coffee shop okay. and it's like, yep. well, Lee knows a little yeah. about hey, sound. Come, come he, make us sound good. Yep. <laughs> he's got a computer with LED lights inside. And <laughs> he must know some, what's up. <laughs> yeah, totally. But I didn't know anything like a, a compressor at that point. I didn't know what the threshold on a compressor did. Yeah. I didn't know any of that. I kind of had a basic understanding EQ like the physics behind it with frequency and mm-hmm. hertz and i didn't even had done the math in my head of what an octave was was doubling like 440 and 880 or the same note i didn't even know that yet 
So I start working for this band and get, I'm getting paid to learn essentially. Awesome. I was like a, pay, a basically paid intern. Yeah. My first year I made 4,000 bucks. That was my W2. And it's not like this band could afford me either. I mean, they were making 3,000 bucks a show with a tour bus and seven or eight people on the road. I mean, it was, it was tight for everybody. So did this unknown band turn out to be something big? I mean, yeah. They got to deal with Sony. It's at the punchline here. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's it? it. Like it took them a few months. Yeah. They get a deal with Sony, and then once you get a record deal, it still takes a while, right? Okay. You mean so before you the, start seeing cash, or or before anything to, happens? To do legitimate enough shows that okay. I had to be able to prove myself by. Oh. So they get the record deal, and then they go make a record. That takes six, nine months, mm-hmm. and then three months of promotion. So I basically had a year. So I'm with them for two or three months. They get a record deal. Uh, they got an advance and bought a real bus. So we we moved out of that uh, <laughs> nice. hunk of crap pretty quickly into a real bus. And then I basically had about a year to sink or swim. But I didn't know that at the time. I just thought, I'm here with my buddies and I'm along for the ride. So so like the label would have replaced you if they needed to? Well, what would have happened knowing now, like management and record label would have, they come to shows. Hmm. So if it sucked, they'd have been like, hey, we need to talk about your front of house mix. <clears throat> right. That's what would have happened, okay. but I didn't know that. <laughs> so through that year, I'm just learning and breaking stuff. I totally blew speakers and coffee shops in the middle of America that couldn't afford to replace <laughs> awesome. them. I, I know I did, but, but at the same time too, we'd go into places and it would be such a mess. I'd mm-hmm. have to go start fixing stuff like, okay, the horn works on the left side, the mid does not, but on the right side, uh, it's we got the opposite problem. So mm-hmm. what are we going to do? And, you know, and then I have to start just tracing down cables and like, oh, this crossover is a cable unplugged. What's a crossover? Oh, that. So I'm just a school of hard knocks at that point. So then they get signed and mm-hmm. then they get thrown on tours with other bigger bands. Right. The bands that had, you know, songs real on the radio yep. and like they're, we're selling real tickets now. We're playing concerts front of 700 people and then it's a thousand then it's 2000 then it's 3000 and then i i guess i start getting better i know i did and then the headlining band would get rid of their guy and be like hey will you mix our next tour wow so that's when it really Mm -hmm. was like now i'm not making 20 dollars a day anymore now i'm making 100 yep and it's like, have you ever five X your salary overnight? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So I did that for a few years and started mixing for bigger bands, making a decent living and, um, met my wife on the road and then, uh, convinced her to move from California to Knoxville, Tennessee. But she's like, Hey, are you going to be on the road when we get married? Right. And I was like, I don't want to do that to you if you're moving across the country. So I left the road completely really? and yep. Went and got a job at a local church in Knoxville. <laughs> what that, year was this? That was in 2006 and seven. Okay. We got married in 07. I got the job early that year. So January of that year, 07. Mm-hmm. So then once I start working at the church, then I get exposed to this, culture subculture i didn't even know existed about the mega church the evangelical church mm-hmm. seeker churches and doing all this like super high-end production because like big churches were not inviting christian metal bands into their church right it was like you're playing in the youth building mm-hmm. of a small church in oklahoma city right. that's kind of the the vibe that what we did so then i find out about 
these huge churches doing video transmission across town and multi-site and right well, churches have these giant consoles and i'm like oh my gosh then i found out there's other people that work at church that do what i do and then twitter started mm. in 07 and the associate pastor at the church he was in his late 30s at the time he's like hey have you seen this thing called twitter i'm like <laughs> no so i sign up on twitter and then he shows me 20 accounts to follow and they're like creatives at other mega churches, worship pastors, some tech guys, some audio guys, and we start following each other. They create a Google group. Remember that flashback mm -hmm. to Google groups. <laughs> and there are about 200 church tech directors in a Google group. And then we all start hanging out at conferences and trade shows. And it's like, oh, we're all going to this thing called Infocom in Las Vegas <laughs> mm -hmm. in June. So then you start networking with people and then you start getting invited to speak on panels, like how to mix church sound. And then you do a few years of that. And then, um, oh, well, then I got called to move back to California. So I got a call from a big church. The church I was at in Tennessee was like a thousand people. Okay. And then I got called from a church in California that at the time was about 12,000. And the worship pastor was a signed recording artist. It was like, oh, this is like if i want to do church production right. this is this kind of is like the, yeah. this is it right and it was in the same town that my wife kind of grew up in and wanted to move back to mm -hmm. so it was like oh this is a no-brainer so moved out there continued to speak at conferences and trade shows and then started getting pretty frustrated with how much they sucked like it was just miserable because <laughs> like, the content no, wasn't wasn't it was the environment it wasn't okay. the, it wasn't much of the content it was the the environments you're in speaking at a conference and trade show is not conducive to having good content. Mm. It's like, how do you put five right. audio guys yeah. on bistro tables in a room of 200 people and teach people audio with no gear. Mm -hmm. So I made good friends with two of the guys that kept being invited to speak on the same panels as me. And one night we're at dinner in Orlando, Florida in June of 2015 at a steakhouse inside the Waldorf Astoria. We weren't staying there, but they got good food. So nice. we went over there. And I was like, dude, like, let's go set up our consoles in a warehouse mm -hmm. and play back tracks for each other. Because one of the points of frustration was we couldn't learn anything at these places. Like, there's nowhere for us to go learn. Like, we're some of the best at this. Where right. do we learn? Right. Well, I can go watch my buddy Jeff mix Chris Tomlin mm -hmm. in an arena, but I can't stop him in the middle of the right. show. Right. Say, what are you doing say, here? What's this? Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Same thing. Andrew at church on the move at the time was like, it was the most creative, just freaking dope production church on the planet. Mm. You can't do that in the middle of church. Right. So we're like, let's go set up three consoles in a warehouse for a couple of days so that we can do that with each other. And they were like, so down so i think i even text a buddy of mine that had a warehouse right then i'm like hey can we use your warehouse for a few days he's like sure so we keep talking about what we do logistics you know with this console and his tracks and yeah yeah yeah. and then i go hey i think people would probably pay money to <laughs> eavesdrop on that yes. conversation yes let's pivot out of the factory or out of the warehouse Let's call our buddy John Cassetto at Saddleback in Orange County. See oh, if he can give us their facility. Yeah. Just give us one of those tents they got out in the parking mm -hmm. lot. They're, they call them tents, but they're just like these portable structures. Yeah. I'm like, let's put a hundred people in a room or let's try to sell a hundred tickets, a hundred <laughs> bucks and just see what happens. 
So in November of 2015, we announced the first event and it would be in January, two and a half months later, the day before the NAM show started. Okay. This is what we also knew was we needed gear and we needed people. Well, where are gear and where are people all at the same time? Right. <laughs> They're at trade shows. Yep. So we were kind of like giving a finger to the trade shows by going, hey, the day before you start, we're going to do something cooler do something than better. what you're doing. Right. <laughs> yeah. So we did it and it sold out and we sold a hundred tickets for a hundred bucks, um, made a little bit of money and got a sponsor to pay for our travel and it went well. And then we're like, okay, let's try it again. What's the next trade show conference coming up? And well, who, our, who, who are you guys? Like who are the engineers? Me, Jeff Sandstrom and Andrew Stone. Okay. Um, Jeff was mixing for Tomlin mm -hmm. and Andrew Stone was the production manager at Church on the Move had previously been a touring guy. He'd worked for some pretty big um, general secular bands and uh, and Third Day was his kind of thing. Okay. And But you, uh, your contact with them was just networking over the years, yep. correct? Twitter, 100% okay. Twitter and Google Groups. Um, That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So then we did it again in May at mm -hmm. another conference and sold 125 tickets. So you were just jumping around following the tech crowd. Yes, that's hundred percent. And then we're like, okay, the one in, Chico in Chicago in May went well. Uh, where can we do this again? Uh, let's do um, Atlanta. That's another church city. Mm -hmm. What's going on there? I don't think we did that one with an event. We just tried it, and it was the same thing. Like 130 people showed up. Like, okay, let's try again in January at Nam, and the next year, 200 people showed up. Really? <laughs> we're like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. And then we did it in Chicago again and 300 people showed up I'm like, holy crap. So it just kept going and kept going. And then a, the next year after that, um, we got invited to do one in Stockholm and we're like, well, Sweden. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And 130 guys showed up really? in Stockholm. Yeah. So during that trip was like, okay, the, it's is time something? to, this is something mm -hmm. this is, it's been side hustle and like would pay for like a remodeled bathroom in your house a year <laughs> right. or something, you know, a couple vacations yeah. maybe. And then it was like, there's a need for this. It's working. Um, let's how, how much further do we want to take it? So we started a podcast. Mm -hmm. The podcast ended up becoming the number one marketing engine for all of it. It still really? is to this day. Yep. Um, and then we kind of looked at ourselves and like, well, do we want to quit our jobs and just do events? Like, no, we don't, we didn't want to tour anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, well, let's put some content online and sell courses. But instead of selling courses, we did subscription. Okay. So I had a so buddy. So it's all available when you're, once you're in, you're in. Yeah. So we went to Las Vegas. We filmed 75 videos. It was just audio at the time. Mm -hmm. And it was fundamentals. It was like, what is EQ? What is gain structure? What's the threshold on a compressor do? Because th that was the kind of content that we couldn't cover in the event. Mm -hmm. Because the event, remind you, was so that we could get better. Right. So we're asking like pretty heavy, intense questions at these events. So, and so, someone your, would, so your crowd someone, here was a voyeur crowd, basically, just totally. just listening into what you're doing. Yeah. Oh, Sometimes we would do Q&A at like the end of the day, mm -hmm. but we were never looking at them or addressing them. We were looking at each other mm -hmm. and asking each other questions. And then people would like kind of like chime in, like, what's a gate? You guys keep talking about side chaining triggers to your gate. Mm -hmm. 
and and I, I, I remember this specifically. I turned around and looked at someone and said, we don't have time to answer that. Like, if you just want to go to YouTube and type in, like, what's a gate, mm-hmm. you're going to get that information. But today's right. really designed so that we can get better. And we've got one day. So we're just going to keep plowing. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and people loved it. Okay. So when we went to shoot content over these videos, we're like, okay, now let's shoot a video on what a gate is. Mm-hmm. So that's what we did. And we shot 75 videos and we started a monthly subscription and we set it up to where churches could sign their whole team up. So you pay a monthly fee and then you roster all of your gotcha. team. Yep. And it went really, really well. Um, my best friend's brother was working in SAS. SAS is subscription as a service. That's yep. the that's the acronym for a lot of Silicon Valley mm-hmm. uh, startups that do subscription-based services. Um, so I called him up and was like, hey, will you help us do all the back end? Like, we got to have a website and a payment method. Like, it's complex. So he was coming over to my house after he left his job every day (laughs) and working to run (laughs) that and set it all up. And we had a couple hundred subscribers. And then um, Andrew, one of our co-founders, he passed away in 2019. Mm -hmm. And Andrew was really running the day-to-day business of it. So all the finances, we had a couple part-time staff, some contractors, he was keeping it going. Spencer, the other guy I'm talking about that was running the subscription was really the, here's what you need to do guy. And he would tell Andrew, do this, do that, use this company for this. So when Andrew passed away, we hired Spencer full-time to be the CEO of the company. And that was in 2019. So if we fast forward to today, um, we'll jump through that three years. There's now audio, video, and lighting. Mm-hmm. There's 500 videos. There's almost 10,000 people on the app. Wow. And there's nine full-time employees and a production facility in Tennessee where we shoot content and do training events. It's just gone crazy. That's incredible. Now, and it, I'm playing it, golf this afternoon with my son. I was going to say, and then you need to play golf. <laughs> yeah, it kind of, it also, that's like a really long yeah. Uh, answer to your first question of how did it all start and I keep thinking about my kid Mm -hmm. and golf and like does he have the same amount of drive Mm -hmm. does he have the same thick skin like I don't know right but here's how I got here and we're gonna see if he's got it I think that's crazy and and really cool because now the of the three of you founders you Jeff and Andrew were you all kind of thrown into the pot to learn or or did did the other two have uh a what we'll call as a sound education that okay so jeff has a degree from the university of michigan in trumpet performance <laughs> fantastic <laughs> and then okay. spent the like late 90s early 2000s in recording studios so he was actually working okay. in recording studios in atlanta gotcha doing doing the work mm-hmm. i mean he was cutting tape and ends up doing, there's a bunch of churches in Atlanta. So he ends up um, a part of a church in Atlanta called North Point. The pastor's yeah. name is Andy Stanley. Andy Stan, yeah. Of, yeah. So yeah. he ends up, um, I think he's there day one. He was in like the church planting really? meeting. Is he, North, he's, he's not there now, yeah. is he? No, he's, he lives in South Carolina now, okay. so he's not there anymore, but he would be if he was still there. So that's how Jeff gets connected into the world with um, passion. Mm-hmm. Chris Tomlin, Louis Giglio yep. was through North Point. Andrew was a military kid, played drums, and then 
out of college was working. He went to ORU in Tulsa yep. and ends up getting tapped at the last second to go on tour to do monitors for Carmen. Are you kidding? <laughs> no. And wow. he was, Andrew was like real rough around the edges, <laughs> real rough. And like everybody thought he was a jerk and he was a total fake it till you make it with Carmen. Okay. It was one of the first yep. tours in the world to use inner monitors. Oh, so he, it kind of worked out to his advantage because everyone no one else knew what they were doing it. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So he ends up working for Carmen for a long time and then starts production managing then starts uh, mixing other bands. And, you know, that was kind of his trajectory. And then he just gets tired of touring and then has an old music buddy from ORU call him and say, hey, there's this church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. They're kind of flipping everything on its head. They hired the lead singer from for him to be their worship pastor. They hired Andrew to do production. And then that's how church on the move okay. took off. So then his, you know, he was a well-known guy in the Nashville mixing world, live mixing, and then totally stepped out of it. He just got fried, just totally burnt out. And then this church in Tulsa calls him and he's like, you don't want this jerk to come out there and work at a church. <laughs> they're like, no, actually we yeah. do. Mm. Um, so that's that's how he got into it. So is the bulk of your target audience the church audio world? Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. We we use references about church. It's not it's not geared toward people that don't do church, but it's the exact same stuff. Mm -hmm. I actually heard. I want to find out if this is true. Like similar to what you were saying about you found us um billy eilish's brother yeah his name's phineas mm -hmm. he's the producer co-writes a lot of stuff he was quoted in an interview someone asked him where he learned everything and he said youtube from church guys like the church world really? gives away all their knowledge yeah. where no one else does they kind of hold it tight mm -hmm. and i'm like i wonder if he watched her That's videos fascinating. that'd be crazy <laughs> it would be that would be pretty wild um so you've been in this world for Sometime I don't know. I don't know how old you are, but you can't be much older than me, or probably not as old as I am. Okay, I got you beat. <clears throat> um, so in so early two thousands is kind of when you got deep into the weeds. Is that right? Or, or I think or it's before when that. I it's when I jumped off the diving board. Okay, I don't know if I was deep yet. <laughs> well, I honestly might have feel been. like I'm just now deep. I feel okay. like. <clears throat> I feel like I'm just now today, this week, <laughs> uh, getting to a point where I feel like I can get actually good. Oh, geez. That's a, that's an hour conversation. Um, Isn't it though? It, that's it like is. where my that, head's that's insane. at. Um, it is insane. Cause like in my, you know, I grew up on an old A channel Mackie with knobs. Yeah. Uh, no, sorry. PV, PV. Had wood yeah. wood sides with a wooden handle on the side. Yes, that's called um, the Sanctuary series. Oh yeah, absolutely, it was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I think it had some actual meters on it too. Yeah, um, and so that was my experience. And then I kind of ran because I liked music. I played bass a little bit, um, and so I liked music. I knew how it sounded. I knew, um, I, I learned how to make it sound the way I wanted to, so yeah. just in an analog world. Um, but I never had the opportunity to jump into all the peripherals and have fully racks and side chaining and all that. That, that was nothing anywhere. Yep. So probably eight years ago, um, eh, maybe close to 10 now. 
um, after moving to South Dakota, uh, I was running sound at our small church here and we needed a new system. So I thought, well, we're going to go digital because that's where we're supposed to go. I yeah. had pushed back forever because I didn't want to have to learn something new because the, it, it's a thought process change, you know, yeah. same, same result, but the thought process is different. Yeah. And I was kind of a computer geek. So I, I kind of understood some of that stuff. Um, and moved to, just because our budget was there, we bought an X32. Uh, still have it today. We're getting ready to upgrade to Alan Heath stuff. But um, yeah. but it's it was insane. So for me, that was my first real jump. And then I have a Personas, the new uh, Series 3 uh, here yeah, in the studio. Yeah, I could tell that was a Personas. <laughs> I can see a couple buttons. I'm like, yeah. oh, that's a Personas. The, uh, it's the very first generation that they put out. And then, of course, they instantly came out with the next level and yeah uh, so now it's it does what i need it's overkill but yeah but that was my first jump into the digital world and you know i'm i'm really in the bit in the kiddie pool in that side of things um is there good i mean outside of what you guys are doing because i think what you're doing is so it's so unique um in that it's really pinpointed like you it is like the knife edge of what it needs to be yeah. Uh, is there good education for AV anymore? Uh, I mean, other than what you guys are doing, like just broadly, could you go to college to learn any of this stuff? That's such a good question. Um, yes. However, you have to do a lot of filtering because there's just a lot of bad stuff out there that's mm-hmm. just completely wrong. And it's probably a lot like golf. Like if you want to learn how to swing a golf club and you go to (laughs) YouTube, there are thousands of not videos, thousands of channels that this is (laughs) what they do, you know? So yeah, they're there. Can you go to college to do this? Most people say in our industry, like, Hey, I've got this guy. He's really good. He went to this college, but don't worry. We unlearned him. Right. You hear that all the time. And I don't, I don't hate college because of what you do have to do with unlearning. Cause there's a lot of that. I think going to college for this industry is needed with people that need to learn more about their selves themselves. Okay. And like self-discipline and just maturity. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, you can be wicked talented right. at 19, but can you use an alarm clock? <laughs> right. And, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, so I think in some ways college for people can be twofold. Like some industries you have to go to it. Mm-hmm. If you want to be a structural engineer, oh, you're going to yeah. need to go to college. Right? Learn how to cut someone open and fix their heart. Right. You better go to college. Right? Yeah. For 10 years. by <laughs> <Right>. God. <laughs> yeah. But for this, you can definitely learn what you need to learn without college. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just what, what are the things that you need to learn? Are they what are they, you know? And then do you have an environment or a place where you can go make mistakes? Mm -hmm. And I feel like with AVL, it's all about making as many mistakes as possible as fast as you can. Right. And learning from them. It's not about doing everything correct the first time. Mm -hmm. It's like, you got to screw things up in this world. Yeah. Well, the the live sound world is, tell me if I'm right in this thought. From my perspective, it seems like the bulk of it is troubleshooting. We, oh, what, what's we going it, on? We call it combat audio. Yeah, yeah. So well, how do I, what's, what's going on? What's that? Being able to identify it and then know how to fix it, that's where the real skill comes in, right? 
It is. And I, it takes repetition. That's yeah. reps. It's getting put in those scenarios mm-hmm. so many times that, you know, why is that you got, you got 10 guys on stage, mm-hmm. gals and a big system. And you hear a funny noise. That's like, we can't have this in the performance in an hour. We're in rehearsal right now. What right. is it? Yeah. How fast can you identify? Oh, that's the quarter inch cable on the bass guitar. Mm. It's like, how did you know that Right. with 10 people on stage, 40 microphones, two consoles, probably a mile of copper and connections. <laughs> and, that you, one, and you that knew was it, yeah. that fast. Like that's, I've heard that before. That's the bass guitar. Here's where the spare is. Mm-hmm. It's labeled and ready to go. Like you can't do that on year one, right? year two, three, maybe not even year five. It's just, it takes repetition and it takes being in a, in an environment where you can get those reps. Mm-hmm. So it may take you 10 years. Right. So like when you see, like, especially with churches, right? Most churches don't have staff production people, right? There are a hundred thousand churches in America with attendance between a hundred and 500. Wow. Those churches don't have production staff. Mm-hmm. So there's a hundred thousand volunteers <laughs> out there yeah. that feel responsible mm-hmm. for the production ministry of their church that also have full-time jobs and families. So it's like, Imagine you do what you do in your job, and then you've got this other thing that you're responsible for that you can go to college for, right? but you're the one responsible for it in this environment. Mm -hmm. That's not only is that daunting, it's you, you can never expect that person to be as, as good at that as I am at this, just because they they don't have the opportunity to, Mm -hmm. to have that many reps. Yeah. Well, yeah. If I jump on a backhoe once a year, once every five years, you know, dig around, yeah, yeah, I, I will. You're right. You'll never be as good or even close to the guy that actually lives in that machine. No. And I, I'm, I'm a photographer by trade. That's my, that's my actual job. And yeah. Photography and graphic design. And I live inside the Adobe world. Like yeah. that is my. I mean, I, I sit at my computer most of the day. Um, you know, <laughs> you think, oh, be a photographer. You're gonna take pictures all day long. Nope, not today. I mean, I'll take right. pictures for you know half an hour. Then I'm. The rest of the day sitting at a computer. But yep. it's that. And so when I talk to people about that and young photographers will come up and, you know, give me, give me some advice. Well, it depends on what we're looking at. What are we talking about? And I can speak if I assume, and this is why I liked what you said in your conference where that person asked a kind of a rudimentary question. Uh, we don't have time to get into that. You know, yeah. how, do I open, how do I open a new file? Well, we, we're not there. This is not the conversation for that. Right. We need to right. be past that. Um, what is the right. biggest change in in the time that you kind of were all in in this world? What's been the biggest advancement in technology that's changed the game? I mean, production IT, you know, e- everything's on a network now. Mm-hmm. Every signal has been converted to digital that was analog before, all of them. I don't think there's anything left. And we're now compressing things. I'm talking about data compression. Okay into cat five mm-hmm. and fiber and digital coax. So everything's got an IP address and everything is attached to a network s- switch with the word Cisco on it. Mm. That's a massive shift. Yeah. Huge. So, so, so are all your runs network cable now? Yes. Yep. It's either coax fiber cat five. That's it. That's it. It's one of those three. Is fiber uh, where it's at, really? I mean, is that stability? With video, yes, because, okay. you know, you've got 8K cameras now. Yep. 
And so if you want multi-channel video down one stream of cable, the only thing that can now do that is fiber. Mm. So even coax requires multiple coax cables to do that. Like remember, like your when your TV, you forgot your first HD TV <laughs> yeah. and your Xbox now has <laughs> HD capabilities. Right. And now there's an RGB and a white and a red cable. Mm -hmm. It's no longer just one right. coax, <laughs> yeah. right? It's the same idea. Mm -hmm. It's there's so much data being transmitted that it has to be put on a network and there's some com compression involved. So just the, and the whole point of that is to simplify the user, correct? Is, is that the goal or, or, or to bring more no. capability to the system? I think it's the goal is to bring a richer experience to the consumer. So to do that, you mm. need better looking cameras. Gotcha. You need okay. more lighting fixtures, more control, more creative ability to control the lighting and video. And this is just the and, consequence of that. Yep. Yeah, and you need high resolution audio. Mm -hmm. And, you know, rock bands aren't 24 channels anymore. You know, right. I, I mix front of house for a band called Hillsong United now. And it's just a little band. It's fine. <laughs> kind of people listening know who that is for for people that are, that are in church like mm -hmm. you sang their songs this weekend in church most yeah. likely they're yeah. they're well, prolific and it's an honor to be able to say that that's honestly all, that's so cool but our our input list is like 90 channels it's crazy it's like you could do that that band could play with 35 mm -hmm. but we're doing some unique stuff with guitars. We're definitely doing some unique stuff with drums. There's electronic drum pads. There's a lot of stuff happening. There's tons of crowd mics because of recording and we're going to put oh, stuff right. on Instagram. Yes. Like we had, uh, like I'm going to get the number wrong. I think 20 crowd mics wow. of the, of the 90 channels, 25% of the, inputs are the crowd mics. that's crazy. Yes. For YouTube and Instagram. Yeah. So, I mean, just the need of that forces you into the premier, the premium level of, of gear. It does. And, you know, I think consumer audio, mm -hmm. video and lighting, it, it's elevated right, so yeah. much. You know, it's you can't have a less than experience. So you can't turn your television on at home with your Sono soundbar and watch, you know, an award show. And then you go pay a hundred dollars for a concert ticket and you're in person and it sound worse yeah. and look worse right. and feel worse. So we're always trying to up the experience level and, and make people feel like they're getting value. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm trying, yeah. I'm not talking much about the spiritual component cause I don't, I don't know the audience, but it, there's a, there's that whole side to what we do also mm -hmm. and how technology plays into that. But just with, the technology advancements, it's, it's like every day is a new race to the starting line. Mm -hmm. It's like, here's a new way to do this. Here's a new way to do this. And it's just faster and faster and faster. And immersive audio now is making its way into live sound. So when you like Dolby Atmos, it was just a, in a live scenario. So yes. you're running speakers around the whole facility now. Yep. hundred percent. Yep. What? <laughs> Yeah, so you know, remember five years ago there were some movie theaters that had Atmos. Oh, yeah. If you wanted to see the Star Wars movie, which one has Atmos? You need right. to try to find that little yep. logo. Well, then AirPods come out mm -hmm. and everybody's got AirPods. And now if you go to iTunes, 
now it's there's Atmos mixes. Yes. So now there's mixing studios being built faster. There's not enough Atmos mixing studios being built right now. They can't really? do the work fast enough because all the record labels want Atmos mixes. And then now if, if you haven't done this, I recommend it. Check out your phone. Like there's, there's two ways you can experience this. If you have AirPod pros, spatial audio, turn the spatial audio on it is and watch fat. a YouTube video. Yes. It's weird. Yep. First of all, it changes like the voices go mono and there's like this weird room sound mm -hmm. that they put in it. But if you turn your head to the right and you keep your phone to the left, the vocal shifts. It moves to, so follow, it, to follow the, the it's trying to follow yes. the position of where it technically is coming from, right? Exactly. So that local yeah. uh, spatial localization yeah. is what we call it. So with live sound, we're now doing the same thing. So instead of going to an arena and there being speakers on just the left and the right, uh -huh. now there's going to be seven hangs of speakers across the front. And if the guitar player is on the left side of the stage that you're looking at, you will localize the guitar mm -hmm. to the position he is on the stage. And if the, you know, everything you can do is like that. So when the, when the singer moves, this is the freaking trippy part. Mm -hmm. If the singer goes to the right side of the crowd and is talking to them or singing to them, it's, you can it's more have, on that side. Yes. And there's a tracking device on their belt. Okay. And that's following them. And then the lights are also moving with it mm -hmm. and it's, and it's all automated even into the speaker system. It's wild. That is incredible. Now, so people that know a little bit about audio mm -hmm. are thinking, well, if you're on the far right side of the right. room and yeah, the guitar is mm -hmm. only on the left side, well, that sucks. Well, not anymore because they have figured out a way to use timing and phase. Oh, geez. <laughs> to, it's still coming out of all of the speakers. Uh -huh. So even if you are on the far right side of the room and the guitar player is on the left side, it's still in your speaker. They're just able to localize it to where it's still where you're looking based on where you're hearing the sound come from. It's the freaking craziest thing. So I last December, I saw Chris Stapleton live. Okay. And I don't know who runs his front of house or his yeah. entire system. I have not been to a concert that sounded that good ever. Other than I actually have been to Gateway, their their main campus in South Lake. Yeah. And that is like their audio sounds dynamite in that building to me. Yep. Yep. Um, but They're very good. Stapleton, I was blown away at the quality of his mix in that stupid arena. Yeah. Th three years ago, I saw Metallica in Grand Forks. Yeah. The worst sound I've been to in a concert. Okay. I'm not going to comment on the Metallica <laughs> one. I will comment on the Stapleton. Okay. Uh, this should make you feel good about your own taste in audio. <laughs> My best audio friend okay. who I think I have great similar taste in mm -hmm. and trust everything he says told me the exact same thing about Stapleton. Really? Best mix he's ever heard. It, it was insane. I heard the yeah. little details of the cymbal work and I'm yeah. you know, 300 feet away from the stage. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's all analog, Stapleton. You know, I wondered looking at that desk. Really? It is. Yeah, it's all outboard gear and analog. Oh, it, it's, I think he's using a phenomenal. Midas H3000. Yeah. Absolutely dynamite. It blew or an my XL4. Mind. But yeah, so I haven't seen him yet, and it's it's one of those one of the guys in the United band. You know, he lives in Sydney, so it's harder for him. But mm -hmm. he's like, whenever we can line up a go see Stapleton, and I feel yeah. the same way, just because I want to go hear the mix. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Uh, Bruno Mars was, is similar. So okay. my friend Chris Raybold mixes for him and it's stunning. It's fantastic. That, yeah. And I know that, I mean, just a little bit that I know, I know the difficulty of working in a room like that. Cause it's they hard. don't build these rooms acoustically. No, they do the opposite. They want them to be loud. <laughs> right. Yeah. You yeah. Have monster trucks in there. Yeah. <laughs> Screaming NHL fans. Right. You know, they want right. to be loud. Yeah. Um, why let, let's move to the spiritual side just a little bit because I, okay. I mean, I have mixed in church my whole life and yeah. Um, why is AV? I know why I think, but tell me why AV is such a crucial piece of the church service in today's world. Yeah. I think it depends on at what level you're talking about. And this is a hot debate mm-hmm. and there's, there's two teams on this. There's no smoke. The, don't bring smoke in here. Don't do anything. <laughs> the Holy spirit right. doesn't need your voodoo. <laughs> right. And then there's the other side, which is, you know, we want to create art and immersive experiences and we want to wow people and the more seeker driven. Mm -hmm. But then like, we can't forget, well, you're in a large space and I'd like to hear that person. Correct. And I'd like to see them and I'd like them to be lit well so that I can see them in person. Mm -hmm. And I can't make it to church today. So it'd be nice if this was online and I could digest this on my phone or my television. So there's basic technology needs just to accomplish having church Mm -hmm. and just communication, just a microphone and PA speakers at a minimum. And then there's what type of church do you want to be? What type of experience are you trying to create that whole thing? So I think it depends, you know, people that are passionate about no moving lights and no haze are really passionate about it. But if you didn't have, if you weren't able to hear the pastor, they'd have a problem. 100%. 100%. So yeah. th- th- there clearly is a value of, of the AV world. It's just, you're right. It depends on which part of it. Yeah. And I tend to think even the churches that are more, we call it flashy mm-hmm. or seeker or more entertainment driven. That's the nasty word people use. <laughs> um, right. I think they could dial it back a little less. That's my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. You know, cause I do think no one wants lights in their eyes. Right a really bright one, you know, flying across the room and hits you in the eyes. It doesn't, I also feel the same way when I go to a Metallica concert, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily want to be assaulted there right. either, right. you know? So it, it's not just because it's church. I think people that don't like moving lights and haze don't like it at all anywhere. Gotcha. It feels weird when, especially a church has never had it and they've built this community of people who that's not been a part of what they do. And then they want to shift into Mm -hmm. that. It's not that it's right or wrong. It's just like, Oh, this is different. And when you couple technology and something like that with a spiritual component, then it causes you to go like, do do these fit together? Mm -hmm. Is this, is this right? Is this supposed to be this way? Or you don't do that when you go to a concert, you, it just comes with territory, right? I'm being entertained. Yep. So I don't think it's even right or wrong to flash a light in someone's eyes. I just don't think it's wise. And I think there's wisdom in considering like where the, where the line is, where's the threshold for you and your church and your pastor and what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Well, cause don't you have to kind of keep in mind that, cause what I try to teach the people that I instruct in how to mix in our scenarios, um, we're not like our job is to make 
the sound so transparent that it doesn't distract from what's trying to come from the pastor or from the stage. Yeah. And being able to do that is, I mean, it, it's work. And the other thing that has frustrated me over the years is I'll go to churches. These are all in the small, small stage world. Um, yep. And, you know, the sound person is back there with their hands up and their eyes shut. Yeah. And what I, t- what I tell them when I have the opportunity is the soundboard is as much an instrument as the keyboard player. Yeah. As, as, as the guitar player. So that person doesn't get the luxury to take their hands off their instrument on a regular basis. I mean, there's certainly times when things can happen. I'm, we're, we're good yes. with that. But as a rule, this is your instrument. Play it yes. and dedicate yourself to it just like that guitar player has to. Yes. It, it, is that the same? I mean, when you get to that big level, is it the same? It, it's the same at any level. So there are two types of people that mix. Mm-hmm. There are engineers and there are musicians. <laughs> okay. So the engineer that mixes at a church is I turn this on and I turn <laughs> this knob here play. and this, and that's where it goes. <laughs> yeah. And, and there's not, it, it's not wrong if that's what you have, because you can certainly <laughs> accomplish service, yeah. right? Will it be the best that it can be? I believe no. I believe you don't have to play an instrument to be a good mixer, mm-hmm. but you do have to be a musician. That's a great way to say it. So my whole story, like when you ask like what created this and I start talking about playing drums mm-hmm. for eight years and then all of a sudden it switches to mixing. To me, it wasn't a switch. I just picked up a different instrument. That's all it was for me. So I believe to be the best mixing engineer when it comes to music, you got to be freaking gangster musician. Yeah. You don't have to know where a, the G chord is on the guitar. Mm-hmm. You don't have to know that. Yeah, that's actually really good because it, it is, it, it's easy to forget, especially when the sound in, especially when budgets are at play in yeah. small churches, you know, the sound is always last. But the reality is, and I, I tell people as bad as it is, I said, the sound guy is the most important piece of that service. Yeah. Because if they screw it up, the entire point of the message is lost. Totally. For sure. So Yeah, I, and your point about it being you don't want to be a distraction. Mm-hmm. That's a hundred percent true. And there are things that you can do to make it better, not just a distraction. You can you can add to you can be an right. additive part, mm-hmm. just as the same way the bass guitar would be. Could the band play without the bass guitar? Sure, they could. <laughs> but if you have a bass, it just adds this mm-hmm. roundness and depth to the whole band, right? Mm-hmm. If you just mute that bass guitar, it's like <gasps> You just yeah. suck the air out of the room, you know? So I think in the same way, we can do that as the front house engineer. Mm. It's what am I contributing to this? The danger is just like if you had a crazy guitar player that wants to add his own thing to the mm-hmm. arrangement of whatever Bethel worship song you're playing. <laughs> it's like, well, that that's an interesting take. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so we can do that as engineers, as lighting guys, as video directors the same way it's it's very important to like whatever the band is doing whatever the vision of the band and the church you have to play uh the correct part in that mm-hmm. right yep i've heard it said like it's baking a cake like everybody's throwing in ingredients well, what kind of cake are we baking if we're baking german That's chocolate true. yeah i'm not putting red velvet in it <laughs> or pumpkin <laughs> right right, <laughs> right. 
It's yeah. like, we got to know what we're doing and all the ingredients are going to play a part for a great outcome. But if you're just adding your own thing, that's not going to be good for anybody, whether you're playing lead guitar or you're mixing. Mm -hmm. What did, um, you know, we're, we're two years into, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Two and a half years into COVID and, yeah. and, and the response to it, which really was stop doing everything you're doing. You guys need to back off. No concerts, no big events, none of this. So kind of nationwide, well, worldwide, but nationwide in the U.S., it was yeah. the response was stop the things you're doing. Yeah. What did that do to church? What was the real impact on the church world and, uh, you know, thinking of what you guys do specifically? Um, I mean, what you do in the, the front of house mixing world requires a crowd. At some yeah. level, so <laughs> yeah, it does. I mean, what, what did that? What's the real impact that we're going to see potentially throughout the next few years? Yeah. So what we used to see with church audio specifically, and then I'll talk about video and just the church at large. What it changed. A church would have a front of house console, mm -hmm. and that console is supplying the mix for the room and for the band's monitoring. Mm -hmm. So it could be wedges or it could be inner monitors. It was doing both. Well, when a church grew to a certain size, you would see them at a monitor only console because when you're mixing for, you know, five to 10 people on stage and, you know, a couple hundred people in the room, mm -hmm. that's really difficult to do well at the same time. Right. So at some point churches go, let's add a monitor console. And then churches would add a broadcast console. So the biggest mm -hmm. of big churches, they're like, 4,000, 5,000, 6,000 seat churches were adding broadcast consoles. Well, now it's flipped. So now right. small churches, 100, 200, 300 are adding broadcast consoles before they're even thinking about monitor consoles mm -hmm. because of streaming and right. because of putting the services online. It's really difficult. It's not difficult. It takes a certain type of skill to be able to mix for a house and that mix also translate to the web. Right. It also takes a good sounding room and a great sounding PA, because if you're doing stuff kind of wild for the room mix, because your room sucks and the PA <laughs> right. sucks, yeah. then you're it's not going to work. Over no, broadcast. it's affecting right. people online. Yeah. So if you, if the kind of, if the stars align and mm -hmm. you have a great sounding band and the mix is good, you can have a good broadcast mix. It's becoming less and less common. And then there's like, people want to tune vocals now, the auto tune. <laughs> So if you're in a, in church and it's kind of like even mildly loud, like some people would consider that church's band's quiet and if the singer's out of tune, they'll say they're flat. Mm -hmm. You may not know. Like it's, okay. it kind of smears with the right. whole room. It's yep. harder to pick out. You put that thing, that same out of tune vocal on a television or a laptop, oh, it sticks glaring. out like a sore yeah. thumb, right? So people want to auto tune vocals and to do that, you need a separate console and a whole separate system to do that. Um, so that's what we've seen with audio with video. It, it's now, well, we want to put our services online, right? We didn't even have this before. Mm -hmm. Maybe we had one camera in the back of the room just to archive what happened, <laughs> right? you know, <laughs> or to and, send a feed to the nursery or something. Yeah. Or yeah. make some DVDs for the shut in <laughs> ministry, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's all it was. Well, now yeah. the thing that drove that was, like you said, stop coming to church. Mm -hmm. Churches are closed. Now, some of them didn't. That's a whole other episode. Right. right? <laughs> right. But the ones that, that did close, 
people have not come back to church in the same frequency that they attended before. Do you think part of that's because they actually started producing a product that's easy to consume online and it's easier to stay home, it's more convenient? Or did they lose sight of what church is for? I think that's it. Mm. Now, I don't we made have too proof good. <laughs> of this. This is anecdotal and yep. my gut. Yep. And, you know, I, I think people started spending more time with their families mm-hmm. and outdoors mm-hmm. and doing other things in the community Golf. and real. Mm-hmm. And then it's like you only got so many places to put things in your life. Where yeah. does church fit into that? Well, it used to be three Sundays a month. Well, now it's one. Mm. And that hasn't returned. So it, every church, for the most part, I'd say probably 90%, that's the case, that people are attending church less frequent. However, giving has gone up and overall attendance is up. Oh, right. Right. So the, how many different people come to your church mm-hmm. yeah. is, is higher, but how many are coming to the building every single week is very different. So, so because of that... Mm-hmm. I think people said, well, then let's give them something online that's a similar experience than when they get here. So So now Blackmagic cameras and all that are showing up, like cheaper cameras. You don't have to have a $100,000 video system anymore. Now you can have an HD broadcast Mm -hmm. facility for 20 grand. Right. Which was, I mean, that's unheard of. That was, yeah. Um, Yeah, so we're we're right in the middle of of trying to move to that broadcast separation. So we have that too. Um, And that that was it is you know we can continue as we are absolutely we could still do it our broadcast yep. is still going to sound mediocre at best yeah uh, because first off we got one person trying to do both and you throw headphones on for a minute and try to oh, tweak yeah. it then you got to get back to the room because that's where you're, you know that's where you're at yeah so having that and i was actually looking into the Avantis system um to go with one of those and then digitally like on a computer control yeah um but I think I've moved now, and I guess you could tell me if I'm crazy, uh, to SQ7s, two of them, and just yeah. duplicate them. And then one will be dedicated. And my thought is my volunteers are very, um, they, they're not near as deep as I, as I am and would like them. Um, sure. So if I put them on the same console, whether they're in the broadcast or front house, they're touching the same piece of hardware with the same right. channel layout. So their mix is yes. going to like their thought process will be the same. Yes. I think that's smart. I think you want to remove as many hurdles as you can mm-hmm. to have the volunteer feel like they succeeded and the church be happy with the outcome, right? Yeah. You don't want you don't want the struggle bus. <laughs> so having the same console and the same layout I think is more important than people give it credit for. Yeah. Making sure that vocal is the in the same spot on mm-hmm. both consoles if they're if they're volunteering in both places, yeah. you don't want to have to learn. Right. Two, two totally different... separate systems. Yeah. No, yeah. no or, not or at all. Here you're going to go touch a touch screen TV screen, or you're going to touch an iPad. Right. That's a, right. It's not the same environment. Right. Yeah. The, the only two options to me in that scenario are a DAW using pro tools or logic, mm-hmm. or you're mixing entirely with software Yeah. and then doing what you're talking about with two identical consoles, but doing the pro tools or DAW, I feel like requires that the church have somewhat of a consistent staff person responsible because of things like software updates right. and yeah. reliability issues with keeping up with the DAW, it just requires more. Mm-hmm. Where that Allen and Heath console, if you never updated it, you know, barring some critical bug that they right. they're like, hey, you have to update, yeah. you could never do anything with it and it's gonna work every single week. Mm-hmm. Right. It's just going to work. Yeah. You're not even going to have a fader fail on that thing, most likely. Mm-hmm. Whereas the computer, it's like 
did we charge the keyboard? Did <laughs> <Right>? we, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's just so much did that can go wrong. we plug the mouse in underneath the bottom? Thank you, Adam. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Steve Jobs rolling over in his <laughs> grave. You would think they would, at some point, would have fixed that. Anyway. You would think. You would think. Um, yeah, so I would, I think, I like what you're doing. Well, that that's awesome. Good. Good to, good to hear. Um, why, how do we attract more people into the, the AV industry in within the church world, like especially since I mean I live in a community that's thirty five hundred people, so it's not big. Yeah, um, it's difficult to find people willing. Um, I mean I I came to this I I was born into it really, so I was raised touching faders and knobs, so that's just been me. But not many yeah. people are. So how do we appeal to more people? Are we going after the young gamers? I mean what? What's the, <laughs> who's the target? We as a company are trying to answer this question because it's the number one problem for mm -hmm. all church production teams. We just did a survey last week. We yeah. surveyed a hundred churches in our app Okay, from sizes a uh, hundred to 2000. Okay. And the number one problem unanimously was recruiting new volunteers. Really? Yep. Yep. The it, number it, two problem was, um, creating a desire to learn in mm. my existing volunteers, mm -hmm. which I think we can solve that problem. Well, I just scrolling through your, just the front page of the website earlier today, I agree. It's dynamite. Yeah. Thank you. We have a great team, but the, how do you attract new volunteers? I think it's a discipleship issue. Okay. I think if the church makes it, a discipleship issue with hey, your life will be better if you serve in the church. Mm -hmm. I think that's it. And, and, you know, the Bible talks about serving and giving back. So yeah, that's covered, <laughs> but I, I don't think we can do anything. <laughs> if we do anything to help that, it mm -hmm. would not be as good as solving the discipleship part of that. In my opinion, I think there's, you know, growth hacks you could probably do. I don't know what they are yet, but I think at, at its core, it's a discipleship church issue. If the church values people serving in the church, mm -hmm. then people will serve or they won't go to that church. They're like, I don't like churches like that. I just want to come in, uh, sit here for an hour right. and 10 minutes and leave. Then that's fine. There's plenty of churches like that, but yeah, the best way for churches to grow their teams immediately is the people that are currently serving, mm -hmm. just ask them to bring a friend. Okay. That's yeah. been the best way mm -hmm. that I've seen. And that hasn't changed in the, I guess, 15 years I've been doing this with churches. That's, that's the best way, especially churches with camera operators and video volunteers. Mm -hmm. That seems like a lower barrier to entry than doing lighting right. or audio. Yeah. So if you've got a great camera operator, like, Hey Dave, you got a buddy or two that mm -hmm. like, would think this is cool and do this with you on the weekends. Like that's been the best way. Yeah. And it's, you know, maybe one out of 10 that that will work, but it will work. Hmm. When did you get interested in smoking meats? Um, when the Traeger thing, you know, it's like, the marketing that those guys did mm -hmm. on Instagram was pretty remarkable. Yeah. It, it was total influencer marketing. I was into hunting. Okay. So was I'm or a were? Bow, you still are. Uh, right? I still am. Yeah. yeah. So I bow hunt. 
And hunting for me is not just, it's not trophy hunting. It's not just, I'm going out and ending an animal's life. It, it really is. I want to know where my food comes from. Mm -hmm. So it, it was a part of the process. So I had to learn how to shoot a bow and arrow and I had to learn what's the best way to prepare the meat. So it was all the same thought yeah. process for me. And a lot of the hunting community, Instagram, mm -hmm. uh, Traeger got a hold of them. <clears throat> and then you would, you follow these bow hunters and they show you this video of them going elk hunting in Colorado. Yeah. And then the last <laughs> 30 seconds. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. And the last part of the video is mm -hmm. them putting it on a Traeger. And mm -hmm. I was like, well, I guess I need one. Yeah. So <laughs> in 2019, I bought one and just started really just trying to learn. And then it was like, oh, brisket. Brisket's the one. <laughs> That's the everybody's got to try a brisket. It's the hardest piece of meat to prepare because well, it's kind of no a crap piece of meat unless it's cooked properly yeah and it's freaking hard to cook it properly i've not tried so i need to it's it's very very hard right. yeah if you look at the steps mm -hmm. it's like well that's not that hard it's freaking hard <laughs> but if you have like some of the best brisket in the world it's some of the best meat in the world you could ever yeah. have too. Yes. so that's kind of the, the how that happened mm -hmm. and then you know, then you get into like, oh, I'm a green egg guy or I'm a Traeger guy <laughs> right. or I'm a, a actual stick burner, that whole thing. So that's a whole subculture on its own. That's how that happened was hunting. <laughs> awesome. That's actually yeah. fascinating. I interviewed John Stallone. He's a pro hunter from Arizona back. Nice. Probably a year ago. Um, and as I follow his Instagram, um, and that's how I found him too. Uh, he, he does <clears throat> like he'll do out in the field, you know yeah get the animal all cleaned up ready to go and then start a little fire yep cook up some some back the heart out there yeah i the bet heart, he does yeah. the heart first Probably. that's what everyone does first that night <laughs> right they do or right? If it's, <laughs> right if it's late the next morning for breakfast it's like uh heart and eggs for breakfast See, it's crazy do you like deer heart elk heart do you like it it's more it it tastes fine it does not taste bad mm -hmm. it's not the best cut of meat it's it's it signifies an accomplishment. So it's so it's um tradition? A little more bit more than anything. It's like if you're in deer camp with a bunch of guys yeah. and someone harvests a deer, the statement is, So we're having heart tonight, right? <laughs> like it's just what you <laughs> the, do. The assumption is there. Yeah. It's like while it's fresh mm -hmm. and meat like that that um it's maybe not the best cuts of meat you would want it fresh, right? Like, let's not even freeze it. Let's just put it in the fridge and let's go. Yeah. It is very, yeah. uh, we hunt in the middle of the state every year at a ranch out there. And so my, yeah. my boys have, I've got a 16, almost 16 and a 13 year old. And so nice. they, we've gone for the last several years out there. And my youngest or my youngest boy that was with me, um, <clears throat> last year we shot two deer and he's all about figuring them out, you know, digging them out, yeah. getting going through the heart so one of the old guys we hunt with was a doctor forever and so he's dissecting the heart with them and showing them all the stuff and then yeah covers it in pepper shoves it on a stick and cooks it in the fire right there in the in the lodge Hole? no no just strips of it oh yeah 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 and you know then here you go you got to eat it <laughs> so, yes and it's yes. it you know it, mentally it's something it certainly is something it is um, it, it's not a bad flavor at all it's just no fat in it no no it's not it's it can be kind of tough and chewy and yeah but it, yeah, it yeah. is very much a, a, a milestone moment. 
So is that whitetail or mule deer? That's all, well, there. we're right on the line. Like we we okay. hunt in Pier, just to the uh, east of Pier, South Dakota, which is pretty much dead middle. Um, yeah. They cross over, but we tend to go whitetail there. That's all river bottoms of it? Um, we're up above the, a big valley that goes down into the river, so... Yeah. Um, so they're coming in. It's all it's all corn fed deer. I mean, really, they're okay. Cool. It's all it, it's the best tasting venison I've had in a long time because yeah, of that. I, I don't like grass fed steak. No, like, no, know, no. It's not good. Mm-mm, it is I, not good. I don't care what anyone says. I've never had any of it that's good. I no, want you my can beef. do <laughs> corn finished. There you go. Yeah. So they're starting mm-hmm. to do that out here. I don't know if that's making its way there, but now it's like okay, everyone was right. Grass fed right. steak sucks. Right. At least give it some corn for a few months mm-hmm. before you do the deed. <laughs> have you uh, have you ever tried sous vide steak? I've had it, and one of my favorite restaurants on the planet. That's what they do to their steaks. Mm-hmm. It's in um, Orange County. Okay. It's in Anaheim. It's called the Ranch. Okay. So there's a <laughs> video company called Extron. Have you heard of them? No. They make like adapters and converters e-x-t-r-o-n extra it's like commercial grade video widgets is what they make Mm -hmm. well the founder of the company is a texas cowboy okay so their office buildings in an industrial part of town in anaheim not disneyland yeah it's close there but it's like (laughs) you know it's just giant office building in an industrial park Mm -hmm. but the first floor is a western steakhouse And they sous vide a strip mm-hmm. for a long time, mm-hmm. something like 24 or 48 hours. It's a long time. Yeah. And then they, uh, well, lost my train of thought. They uh, finished it on it. a grill. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. Just right at the end. Yep. It's one of the best steaks I've ever had. So it's I definitely yeah. one of the best at a restaurant I've ever had. Yeah. So I started about two years ago. Um, I found a YouTube channel in Florida that he's all sous vide everything. So it's called. Yeah. And this dude is just, he sous vide everything. But I was like, that's got to be interesting because you can never, ever overcook a steak this way. Ever. No, ever. And so now, like, when I want to cook steak, that's it. But they have to be thick, almost two inches. Um, yeah. Salt them for a day beforehand, then shrink them. A full day? It. Yeah. So you, a lot it's, of, if it's thick enough, you do a lot of salt. And then it totally penetrates the meat. It kind of is like a fake dry aging. Yeah. Yep. Uh, then yep. shrink wrap it and 134 degrees, I think is what I found I like the best for you, uh, at least sear two it at hours. The end? Yeah. So at least two yep. hours, sometimes four, depending on where we're at. Uh, yep. And yeah, take it out, dry it off, put it over hot. Coals are the best, but I've got propane. So sear it for, till it looks good. At that point, I'm looking for burned char. Yeah. It is the best piece of meat. Cowboy style on the coals or on a grill? Uh, I've not actually touched the coals. I would if I had. I don't have one, but I that that okay. is next. I saw that one guy. One yeah. guy did it, and I was like, "Oh, that's got to be." Fantastic. I've never tried it either. I have a few friends that do it, and I've seen yeah. some guys over the fire cooking. That guy's awesome. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. My uh, my mom will not eat meat that's red, like like still red. I mean, like she wants her meat gray. So she's um, never had meat. Correct until this, <laughs> but she will eat this all day long. And so it, it's, oh. it's awesome. So this way, like, it's great. That's awesome. Yeah. But I, and I love it because like we can have it set up and put it in the water and then go do yard work for the afternoon. Right. When we're ready to eat, we come in to pull it out, throw it on the grill for five minutes and it's done. 
the most impressive thing to me on sous vide is chicken it's moist exactly Mm -hmm. it's like oh yes this is uh, possible the other day my wife wanted uh we were gonna make mashed potatoes and so i heard of a guy doing it in sous vide so i tried phenomenal wow because you don't introduce water at all to the potatoes they don't touch water but you put like whole milk or cream butter in there and any seasoning seal it up cook it for an hour at 194 i think so it's hot just mad it's so good oh man and then you blend them after yep so it's like it's like slice you know i cut them into yeah, yeah, i don't know yeah. half inch slices threw it in there with you know half a stick of butter in each bag of course oh. So and then we added more butter on top at the end, but uh, you have to. <laughs> but li- yeah. literally, like the most rich flavoring mashed potatoes I've had. That's awesome! Fantastic. And I've heard once they're cooked, you could technically leave them in the bag, put them back in the fridge for a week, pull it back out, put it in the water I'm for sure. a half hour, and you're done. Then heat them up. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So it's kind of a fun product, but yeah, awesome. Um, <clears throat> MXU is your company. Your yeah. Education system, shall we call it? Because I, th- I think yeah. that's what it is, and it's pretty pretty impressive. Um, what's the full website, and um, what's your 30-second additional pitch for that product? Because I think, it, uh, from what I've seen, yeah. it's dynamite. Um, yeah. It's getmxu.com is where you can find it, and you can find us on all social media. You can find me on social media at Lee Fields. 30-second uh, pitch. Um, you know, I think the church is responsible for engaging its local community in serving the church Mm -hmm. you want to remove all the hurdles right you want to make it as easy and as fun for people as possible and that's what we're trying to do i we're the number one resource for church production training on the planet for a reason we've never had a church cancel once they've started so really try it out yeah and and it's a monthly subscription base so yep and it's set up for small church budgets. So we figure average church of a hundred to 500 spends about $10,000 a year on church production. Mm-hmm. So we try to be under 10% of that total budget for training your entire team. Well, yeah. Looking at your pricing structure for five users, 39 bucks a month. That right. is absolutely, you can't, that's free. I mean, really right. for what it is, yeah. that is, yeah. and, and to get, and this is what I love about it is to get the minds of you guys who are deep in the weeds at the, at, at the top level. Yeah. I mean, it, it really is that. And uh, especially with the new, the new technologies that are coming out. Um, okay. What is the, what's the next thing? Where, where are we going next? I, I mean, the immersive audio is definitely yeah. where it's headed. That's, that is for sure where it's headed. And, you know, lighting and cameras are just keep getting better and better. I don't, <laughs> I don't know that we need 8k, iMag screens right. in churches like I, I don't know but uh, immersive is where it's heading I'm, I'm curious to how spatial audio and things like that mm-hmm. play into church streaming but do, do you think at going. some point it will get there's it's just too much we want to simplify again we'll pull back to you know just bare bones do you think we're going to ever go that way um yeah I think there will be I think it'll you know the pendulum swings mm-hmm. so I think it got pretty crazy a couple years ago and then when COVID hit it kind of dialed it did dial back Mm -hmm. i think we haven't realized it but it did it's less like this church has 200 lights on stage and a 500 foot led wall like no one gives a crap about that anymore including those churches yeah it's just like let's just get people to engage in serving their local communities and not Mm -hmm. care about 
celebrity pastors as much anymore. However, that online experience is really powerful because you know, we live up in it the is. north. And I, I've been a big fan of Robert Morris for years. And so I, yeah. when I can, I'll jump on and watch their services. And yep. I always marveled at when he pre or whoever preaches, but for a long time, they had nothing but a solid wall of video behind the preacher. Yep. The stage was spotless yep. other than his podium and that wall. And I yep. thought, how in the, what are they doing? Because they have yeah. a full band. Well, then I went there and saw a live show. Went with yeah. the show. I saw a live service. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's the problem. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and it was cool because they had a five-minute intermission um, ad reel that they played. Yeah, and, for future sermons and yeah. upcoming events. Yeah. yeah, And it was just a seamless walk. All their gear just walked back, and they, these panels walked forward and just seamless. Yeah, And it was the, the cleanness of that production, to me, was powerful because at, as a production guy, they, it's like that, that presentation of their, their excellence was so yeah. powerful yeah because there was no distraction in any of it no and you got the impact of the visual he wanted for behind you know behind the preacher the visual of the sermon that's all there and yeah and i know you can't do that on a twenty thousand dollar budget i mean no, that's a can't. that's a <laughs> seven eight figure budget yeah or more i don't know i mean it gets nuts yep so but i don't i don't think people should feel bad about it I think there's a there's a place for people like Robert mm-hmm. and it's a unique place. It's a different type of thing than your church in a town of 3,500. Mm-hmm. I think it's very different. I think the most important thing is that people feel like they're a part of something that matters to their local community in that context. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and Robert is, he's He's on television. Right. He's <laughs> yeah. millions of people. Yeah. It needs to be that engaging. Mm-hmm. You can't have a drum kit behind him because people would be like, what's that drum kit? Mm-hmm. And then they they turn away. Right. But that's not the goal of a church in a town of 3,000. Mm-hmm. It's we want to provide a great church for the people in our city. Mm-hmm. And then the production and worship team are, how do we play a part in the worship of these people's lives? How do we amplify this pastor's message distraction-free? Yeah. That's absolutely right. Lee Fields, this has been a pleasure. Um, Thanks, man. I have followed you for some years now, and it's really, really an honor to get to see you mostly face-to-face <laughs> Yeah, and have a chat. Like, I appreciate that, man. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Lee Fields, uh, getmxu.com is the website for uh, probably the most intensive education you're going to find in the uh, church AV world and probably the AV world. I would, I, I would I think so. We don't, we don't say that a lot because it sounds wild to say, but it's right. true. No, it's awesome. Thank you so yeah. much. Uh, have a great day. Good luck with uh, your kids' golf. I hope, it, hope it plays out. That's great. Lee Fields, getmxu.com. Thanks for hanging out with me for the last several minutes. Thank you all for listening. I'm going to follow Lee on the social media. Search for Lee Fields uh, across Instagram. Facebook. There's also a great uh, MXU group uh, on Facebook. Theinterviewpodcast.org. You want to help support the show? Remember, you can tell people about it uh, and you can monetarily support it. Click on the donate button. You choose the value you got out of the show. Turn that into dollars. Send it back our way so we can continue these conversations. Appreciate you all listening. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. We will see you on the next one. Thanks again, Lee. Have a great golf today. See you later. 